0: Morning, glory, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. It is that last radio hour of the week. Even in a week, is full of news ten days after an election as consequential as this. We always go back to the big ideas and the big books with Dr. Larry Arnn, president of Hillsdale College, as we do the Hillsdale Dialogue. All of the Hillsdale Dialogues are collected at com, Going back four-plus years now, com. Everything Hillsdale is organized, collated, and made very easily accessible for you at hillsdale.edu, including your free subscription, free, I emphasize free, to Imprimis, the speech digest that lights up millions of mailboxes every month as Hillsdale provides you with the very best reading material. All you have to do is sign up for it. That's part of the mission of the university, the lighthouse of the north, the lantern of the north, I call it. And all of their free online courses also at Hillsdale.edu, And you will be needing some of them given the arrival of uh, President-elect Trump on the scene. Dr. Arn, you did my first hour today. You took a time off. You came back. I appreciate it very much. We're talking about C.S. Lewis, that hideous strength. But I, I neglected to mention in the first hour and I got to do it or people will be mad at me. Rush Limbaugh lit up uh, my emails uh, two days ago when he said that you were going to be the secretary of education. And I I don't expect you to comment on this, but I I do want to say it's going to create a hell of a lot of work for me if this happens. I'm going to have to recut all the old Hillsdale dialogues and play them in this hour. Now that's good because uh, that audience has never heard them. But have are you given any thought to poor Mister Bultitude in the other room? There, who has got to do all the room work.
1: Well, I I think about Mister Bultitude all the time, of course. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, first of all, yeah, there's you know there's influential people who'd love for me to do that but there's a lot of really great people who could do that and uh and and Mr. Trump's got to figure out his mind right and if he asked me to do it I could take leave from the college and do it but if he picks one of the others whose name I hear good for him and uh he he uh you know he he does it's you know the, we only have rumors by the way about the transition process and and you know, and and there's a lot of information about what's going on in very high places. But in the end the only thing that matters is the high place in the Trump Tower in New York City and they're gonna make up their mind and, and uh and you know, I mean, first of all, just think what a demotion in my life it would be if I were Secretary of Education. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: would be. You will leave the fortress, the lantern of the North, your castle, yeah. and, and yeah. you will have to come deal with Washington day by day. It would oh, be, man.
1: Think <laughs> of that, you know. Um, but uh, but uh, you know, I'm going to be helpful to Donald Trump to the maximum extent I can, uh, and it's very likely that I could do it a lot better doing my job than I could doing one of his. But, you know, that's up to him. And and God bless him while he thinks about it.
0: Uh, and I know that you are a patriot. If asked, you will serve. But I do think uh, I, we probably should recut those hours anyway, uh, because the the new morning audience have never heard you talking about Homer. We, we can do that. But I'm nevertheless worried about Mr. Bultitude next door, which brings me to Bultitudinous Dwayne and where the word comes from. We have been talking about that hideous strength, and uh, I have been rereading it, and I'm about 40 pages from the end, so I don't want you to remind me of the end too much. Uh, but we do have to set this up for people. Uh, it's such a great book, but it's one of three starring at their center a man named Ransom and his journeys, and it's a science fiction trilogy, but it's much, much more than that. How did you describe this to your students at Hillsdale when you when you set them on that hideous strength?
1: Well, uh, a great way to start, since we've been reading these other books, is to make a contrast. Uh, And this is sharply in contrast to the other books in some very important respects, although, in my opinion, it makes the same point. Uh, First of all, this is an adventure story. It's exciting, you know, and great things happen. Yes. Uh, And it's a wild ride, you know. It's really great. The others are grim, grim and terrible, uh, uh, but not like that, not a, not an adventure story. The second thing is, there's a, there are heroes in this story, really genuine people
0: that they are he- held
1: up for one to emulate, to provide a guide, and of course those are the best stories, in my opinion. Uh, you know, we're into nihilism in the modern world, and we're into great forces that dominate Human beings, and so their pitiful little efforts are crushed, and somehow we manage to. Many people, at least, manage to take satisfaction from that.
0: Um, can I, I add a point here that in the character of ransom, there is held up that kind of person who we rarely encounter, who inspires and encourages and embodies a lot of grace. I think of uh, Archbishop Charles Chaput of, of Philadelphia. There are others. Uh, that, you know, some would even say Larry Arnn was such a person. Not me. I felt the no, scourge no, of his wit too that. much, but I, 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 I do no, think you say that. it is wonderful. It is wonderful that ransom exists because we have been through jury. But there have been some heroic actions in Brave New World and in 1984 and in Darkness at Noon, but there hasn't been a lot of virtue. They've been heroic actions, but, but this ransom is virtuous.
1: Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's he is virtuous and, uh, I'll say a word about his prudence in a minute. But um, uh, the virtue in the other novels, or the, or the brave people in the other, novel, their ev- other novels, their efforts are all vain, right? Yep. Nobody, nobody good wins in the yep. other novels. So in, in this novel, Ransom, who is directly in touch with things that are almost like angels, <laughs> so think of that. Yep. You know, angels are somehow between us and God, and it's easy to imagine what that would be like, right? Something that experiences the presence of God and has no body and yet is an intellect, right? That's most the classical and medieval and renaissance descriptions of angels run that way. Well, these guys are not angels, these eldils who are associated with planets, but they're something like angels, I guess. Uh, and I don't know what that would be. Well, he's in touch with them, and he's talking to them. And and uh, George Orwell reviews this book and says that it's too bad uh, that God has to come into it, effectively, he says this, because now you know the ending. Uh, God's, God comes in, everything's over, right? But that's not true, right? That's not true in the Bible, and that's not true in this novel, because people have to do things and they understand while they do them that this might encompass their death. And so Ransom is such a man. He's talking to these, he's been to Mars and Venus and he's talking to these elders that come from there and other ones we eventually find out. But on the other hand, everything might go wrong and he might be killed. And he knows that. And, uh uh, he he he's a and see that's a that's a point in this book. There is a statesman that is somebody who, amidst the doubts of human life, has to make grave choices and makes them well. And so he's telling Jane, who's a big figure we'll talk about, and she she meets him and immediately wants to be with him because he is a holy man and very galvanizing. And he won't let her stay because of her relationship with her husband. Her husband is working for the bad guys.
0: Mark Stedek.
1: That's right. And and she's disappointed. And uh but can't you know, what does it matter what he thinks? Like, can't I just stay? And he says, Well, he says, I can't be too prudent and he uses that word. That's the state statesman's word, the state the the virtue of the statesman. Too prudent, he said, if if I just took Uh, any circumstance, and used it to overbear high principles for Lewis, the family, and marriage are high principles, then I'd be just like them. I'd be doing every kind of crime in order to remake the world, right? So, unlike O'Brien in 1984, and unlike Mustafa Bond in Brave New World, and unlike Gletkin, and at times Rubischoff in Darkness at Noon, there's a lot of things that Ransom just won't do.
0: He's self-limiting. He's That's limiting. Right. Yeah.
1: Limited by the by the higher things he serves, even in the choice of means that requires one have some flexibility. So so he's and 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 see Orwell I think is exactly wrong, right? Because in in the world that Orwell creates You have a theory, and you just put it into action in all cases. Orwell says a world in which there's a god is like that, but in fact this world, if you read this novel, is not at all like that. They they, they have to grope their way. They're limited by ultimate things, even as they adapt to circumstances. And so it's a very, it's a much more, with the divine in the middle of it, by the way, and it is the presence of the divine in the middle of it, and the character of the divine, that makes this a more richly human world. And when world we come back, we'll,
0: we'll explain. I will say it probably is, uh, for a Christian political actor, a necessary read. It's, yeah. it's an embodiment of how Christians, as Lewis imagined them, in the real world, acting on political and consequential matters. That hideous strength. Dr. Larry Arn is my guest. We'll be right back. America, stay tuned. Twenty-two minutes after the hour, America. It's Hugh Hewitt with Doctor Larry Arn, President of Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale available at hillsdale.edu. These dialogues, which are now in their fourth year, all collected. You can binge listen at hughforhillsdale.com. Hughforhillsdale.com. We began with Homer. We are now talking about C.S. Lewis's magnificent novel, the third in a trilogy of space science fiction books, which are really, actually, much more than that. Uh, that hideous strength. And at this point, Doctor, maybe we should go back and set the stage a little bit for people who missed last week. Uh, we are set in post-war Britain. We are in a college town like Oxbridge, but it's not Oxford or Cambridge. It's a little bit down on its heels. And our, our central characters are Mark and Jane Stedek, a, a newly married young academic, Don, and his wife, who's a, approaching her Ph.D. When word arrives that nice, a big, giant government bureaucracy with enormous powers, that is in fact satanic, uh, begins to arrive in town and take over, and they want Jane for reasons related to her prophetic element, and they take Mark as a means to getting to her. What do we learn about nice that informs our understanding of central planning, by the way?
1: Well, uh, it is satanic. We learn that. (laughs) Uh, But that's not the first thing that arrives. Um, What you learn is that that they're huge, that they're in some way scientific, and that they're interested above all in power. So uh, there's a there's a fairy Hardcastle is the head of the nice police, which are becoming a secret police, and she says that there's not really much difference between sociology and police work, is there? And in the first half of the novel, Studdock, a sociologist, is qualified and attracted, attracted to and attracted. Uh, attractive to the nice and attracted himself to the nice because he understands that enough of this learning, we've got to do. We've got to start working on the society. And so they're like that. And then as you begin to, and right away, when you learn their internal operations, you learn that it's a world... Just like the world of the screw tape letters, a long time before you know that there are devils involved. Yep. And what is the world of the screw tape letters like? If you, if you take out the devils, it's a big bureaucracy, right? And and it's a zero sum game. Anybody who rises means somebody's got to fall. And it's even stated in the screw tape letters as the principle of of the, what's he called, of our, whatever he's called, God, Satan, to the the imps and the screw tape letters. The enemy. The enemy. No, well, the enemy is Jesus.
0: Yeah, the enemy is Jesus.
1: Yeah, and whatever he is, right? Our master. Our father, I think he's our father. That's our father, our father. Yeah, yeah. uh, His principle is that for one thing to expand, another thing has to contract. And in the end, what they're all trying to do in hell is absorb each other actually eat each other and in the and when you meet the nice everything is vague everything is scheming everything is backbiting everything is who's preferred at the moment and who's not who's in the inner ring a big conception in cs lewis and and uh, and so the nice is this thing coming into a world of learning and it's much, and, and it's, uh, Bracton College, where aesthetic is, is a great place. It's like All Souls College. There aren't any students. They're just a bunch of guys and girls, I imagine, writing things, right? And that's all they do. I, I sometimes say about about uh, All Souls College, they've got faculty and no students. That's half the solution. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be
0: awfully dang boring? I mean it would it would inevitably dissolve into this ceaseless competition for status and position.
1: Yeah, that's right. And it's and and Mark realizes as his conversion is underway, which is not explicitly a Christian conversion but, but Jane's is and you can see where Mark's is leading. He realizes that now he understands the nice and that everyone hates each other. And everyone tortures each other all the time. That's the society.
0: And that is hell, and that is often a bureaucracy. Not always. When we come back from break, we'll continue talking about that hideous strength by C.S. Lewis. Don't go anywhere, America. Dr. Larry Aron returns after this. The last Radio Hour of the Week on the uh, end of the week that was so amazing after the week that was even more amazing. Stay with us. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. As you drive into work today, you're listening to Hillsdale Dialogue. It is always the last radio hour of the week. Well, almost always the last radio hour of the week. Dr. Larry Arn is my guest, president of Hillsdale College, hillsdale.edu for all things Hillsdale. If you want to binge listen to our four years of uh, Hillsdale Dialogues, beginning with Homer and bringing us up to that hideous strength where we are this week and next before we go to the abolition of man, You can go to q4hillsdale.com. They're all arranged there. They're all downloadable there. You will just luxuriate in them. Dr. Arn, a a, um, related point. Uh, You mentioned in the last segment that the inner ring is a central concept to Lewis. I often recommend the inner ring to young men and women who wish to rise in the world as a a cautionary tale. But your detachment from this transition process while being in it, I think, reflects that you think a lot about the inner ring. Because there is a seduction underway in any organization always. There's a nice, and there isn't any inner ring at uh, St. Anne's, which is the good guy's place in the uh, that hideous strength, though there is a central player, a commander, but there isn't the competition. And you've got to be detached from it and aware of its temptation at all times, or it will get you.
1: Yeah, and uh, Lewis gives a lecture <laughs> about that. That's reprinted in one of his books of essays, and I, it might be "God in the Dock" or it might be "The Weight of Glory," which is one of the best of them.
0: It's uh, it's "God in the Dock," but go ahead.
1: "God in the Dock," yeah. It um, anyway he, and and the point is, you know, we humans want to be in, and what we can see plainly, what's easiest to perceive is power, right? It's like uh, if 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 anybody our readers our listeners surely know the joy of great friendship right which aristotle describes as the highest human association but that's only for the qualified that is to say the people who admire the highest things and have some understanding of them and devote themselves to them and they become attached to one another in the most permanent and elevating way by that devotion well that's all kind of hard to see right Let's say you're a twenty year old kid, right? And you know, I (coughs) excuse me, I work with twenty year old kids. And there's a pecking order around here and (coughs) excuse me, the student body and the freshmen are junior to the seniors, and there's the student federation and there's the college paper and there's fraternities and sororities. And those are structures that are visible. And then in the classrooms there's a different kind of hierarchy. Right, the hierarchy of knowing and seeing and helping others to do that. And that's less tangible. And so one's education leads you into a very different kind of inner ring than the most obvious kind. And in that essay, Lewis describes that beautifully, where he says that, uh, that not seeking the inner ring, if you just try to do occupy your station well, you will find yourself in in a ring that you hadn't even seen before. And the the phrasing is something like, the real craftsmen, the professionals who really know what they're doing, not the people who spend their lives trying to build up the profession, the ones who practice it the best. And and this novel uh, is certainly, because he says it, setting into fiction the abolition of man, which I guess we're going to read next, but it's also a setting into fiction of that essay, The Inner Ring, and it's very powerful.
0: It's very powerful. And I was, I was put in mind, I don't know if you've read the book, Boys in the Boat. I know most of my audience probably has. There is a craftsman there, uh, Prufok, who lives atop the boathouse in Washington when the 1936 Olympic team assembles and goes on to their great glory in Berlin. And he is that master craftsman. He is the best boat builder in the world. There is no inner ring for him. He doesn't go to boat building conferences. He just builds boats. Uh, it's, it's really remarkable. Back to Stuttek. So, Stuttek gets caught up in this nice, and the, the fairy is a malevolently drawn and wonderful person. But I gotta say, Withers is, his, his language is so much the language of every faculty meeting I've ever been in. And God help you, I don't know how presidents of college go to him. I can skip him when I want. And I, you know, I'm on leave this semester. But you couldn't get me to be a faculty president ever, uh or or to be on a faculty senate ever. And God love faculty members. It's just the way they talk, Larry Arn.
1: Mm, well, you know, not so much here, I'll tell you. <laughs> oh well you're not the norm. <laughs> yeah, it's uh I, I don't go to very many faculty members. I used to go to all of them and I found out that they became bored with me. And uh and so I go once or twice a year. I go if there's a problem. Hadn't been one this year so far. Um and uh, and I go at the end to tell them how the year's going, right? And and they're delightful. Now, a bunch of really smart people. Because here's what's wrong with faculty meetings, and it's just because it's what's wrong with the world. A bunch of really smart people who know their Homer and their physics and all that, and now they're talking about details of academic administration, parking lots. Yeah, it's just not it's just not interesting stuff, right? And I fancy, you know, that uh you know, there I, I wouldn't say that it's my opinion that they're particularly good at it and I'm glad about that. <laughs> Cuz you know, the people who really take care of all that stuff They understand it—the best of them, for sure—and my colleagues, for sure. They understand it for what it is. It's something you just got to get right so you can get on with the real stuff. Yes. uh, So anyway, yeah, that's. But I have been to faculty members, faculty meetings. I think only twice in my life at other places, and the way you describe them, it, it, it like for example, the room was both times teeming with resentment uh both times the president came and gave a report both times he really came uh he was on walking on eggshells but also he came to establish power and power had to do with money yeah and uh you know and and you know faculty members need to get paid and uh so they have the natural human interest in money in my in my experience not overweening but uh but so it was like that and, well, uh, at Bracton,
0: in, in this novel, The College is Bracton, and I'm wondering if you, if you saw in there, you know, the, uh, the progressive element and how they marginalized the old codgers, all of whom end up at Hillstone, uh, Hillsdale, uh, that, that if you saw in there some lesson for modern education, that, that, you know, it's all about contriving to advance.
1: Yeah, that's it. And, uh, at Bracton, the old guys, uh, Expect to go to faculty meetings and be bored, and they only become not bored when something fundamental is at stake. Yes, yes. The new guys have got very devious plans to change everything fundamental, and they're really good at hoodwinking the old guys. And uh, that's, you know, it's just <laughs> ugly. It's just awful, right? And, but it's you know, so beautifully
0: drawn. Oh, it man. Is.
1: And, and, you know, what did C.S. Lewis do for a living?
0: He was a Don.
1: Yeah. And you know, the book begins with a fib, by the way, a a grand fib, because C.S. Lewis says he's, he's charitable, right? And he, of course, excoriates the culture of Bracton College and many other things. But he begins by denying that he knows any co- any college like Bracton or ever saw one like
0: Brackton.
1: <laughs> and he says that he only picks the academic world because it's the one he happens to know. But of course, that won't hold up, because it's from the academic world that these ideas flow that animate the nice.
0: And there so, are a couple of, oh, couple of achingly... Beautiful portraits of the hard sciences guy who leaves nice. And, uh, you know, he's not a believer. He's not a Christian. He's just a, he's a hard sciences guy and he has nothing to do with sociology. And then there's Curry who buries everyone who dies and who's the progressive elements leading guy. And it's such an empty, it ought to be a caution to everybody in academic life to read this thing.
1: You know, people, I'm, I'm an old man now and I've been doing this for a long time. And, uh, people sometimes mention me now that's starting to happen, my legacy, <laughs> and I always think of curry, <laughs>
0: <laughs> giving good good eulogies, he yeah, buried them yeah. all, he took <laughs>
1: right, yeah. yeah, you know the, the day is coming when somebody else is going to do this job, and if I keep it up, maybe I'll be remembered as having done it well, but I, I'm not the only guy who ever did it well, and I won't be the last, I hope and pray. So anyway, but there
0: are good academics. Dr. Dimble is a good academic. He meets with his students. He leaves the St. Anne's Refuge
1: yeah, that's to teach right. his
0: students, and, and he engages also, he,
1: he has this uh, Bill the Blizzard. Isn't that, no, Hingest Hing is his name, the, 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 the yeah, real scientist, right? Yeah, that's the same guy. And he and Dimble have something in common, which is... Real knowledge, deep knowledge, which takes a lifetime to get. And all the progressive element guys can't say for sure exactly what they study and no one else can remember. (laughs)
0: Uh, It's it's amazing. But Dimble is, there's a little monologue. uh, This will tell you how far I've gotten after he encourages Stoddick, who's trying to get away from nice, where he reproaches himself for not doing, you know, he he is subject to the same problems. It's not like there are good guys and bad guys. There are all imperfect people. It's just a question of being aware of your imperfection.
1: That's it. That's right. Yeah. And that that's a point that, you know, because, like, why didn't Winston Churchill think he was God? Well, he wasn't. You <laughs> should see that. And so that's why the very greatest statesman, and remember, a statesman is somebody who's really good at power, right? One of the things about Ransom is he's a very humble man, but Lord. In this, in these three novels, he kills a bunch of people. Yes, right? he does. He's a very lethal man to come up against. And you know, it's just a, it's just a simple rule of prudence in the 20th century, more common and more true than the than the rule. Don't get involved in a land war in Asia.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> don't get in a war with Winston Churchill.
0: And, and let me let me end that. You. If you if you add up Washington, Lincoln, and Churchill, you have three of the most ruthless people who oh, have yeah. ever had to prosecute. Bloody, bloody war.
1: That's right, and and uh, you know the Bruce Catton and my, one of my favorite lines ever written in all of history. After the Battle of Antiet- Antietam, writes this line, which I think I can repeat just about as it was. And so he says, after the Battle of Antietam, the war expanded again to a place that no one had foreseen, and yet also it contracted, focused upon two men, Lincoln and Lee. Who had the awful capacity to make men love them and the ruthlessness to tell them what to do you see Uh, now why are lincoln churchill and washington not monsters because they built constitutions which are ways of distributing power and making government accountable and that is a limit on their own power and so they use that incredible fearsome and lethal talent that they had to make other people strong.
0: I'll be right back. Last segment of our second of three conversations about that hideous strength. You still have a chance to re- get it, read it, and enjoy the end with us when we come back. Our theory in Britain and how it figures in this. Don't go anywhere. Dr. Larry Arn is my guest. That Hideous Strength is the book on which we are focused in this, the Hillsdale Dialogue. Welcome back, America. Dr. Larry Arnn is my guest on the Hugh Hewitt Show. As we continue the Hillsdale Dialogue for this week, we are focused this week and next on that hideous strength. And so if you haven't had a chance, go get it, read it. The election is over. You have time on your hands. You will love, love, love this book. Deeply buried in this book is my love of Arthurian legend. I have I've saved Larry Arnn for a long time. The Once and Future King. I've never read it because I'm going to save it for when... I really have a chance to enjoy. I might even listen to it if anyone has a good audio book out there. But buried in this book is the Arthurian legend, which is very Tolkienish, and that animates a lot of Lewis's life as a professor, as a, as an academic. And and why does he do that here? Why is he trying to merge the old <clears throat> magic of medieval times and Merlin into the modern world?
1: Ooh, that's a, that's a really great and deep question, and of course I don't know the answer, but, uh, but I'll speculate. So, first of all, there's a wedding that goes on here between a nation, which is a real thing, right? A nation is a people living in a place. And our nation, the greatest of the modern nations, occupied a vast place that they did not own at the beginning, and kept freedom spreading all the way across it, right? With the exception of slavery, which was uh, the cause of conflict from the very beginning, and of course, obviously, our greatest conflict. Anyway, so the nation to C.S. Lewis is real, and one of the reasons it's real is it has a past. Its um, it, it, Its past is rich. The people have been formed for a long time. And so... In in uh, in Bracton College, there's Bracton Wood, and that's where Merlin is found. And Merlin is a bridge, as is Ransom, between the supernatural and immortal, and the mortal and the natural. And so this Bracton Wood, and 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 Merlin was a servant of Arthur, right? And so Ar and and it turns out Ransom inherits a title from Arthur, and. So when they first describe this, uh, the well at Bracton Wood, and and it turns out Merlin is hidden buried down in the well, uh, he he says, uh, and and uh, R- C. Lewis speaks in his own name most prominently when he says, "I visited Bracton Wood one time," hmm. and then he says, "I felt as if I was entering the holy of holies." And every uh, provost, I think they're called, of Bracton College, has drunk from a ceremonial cup that traces back to the days of Merlin, right? So there's, it's like communion, right? And so this human thing, this human being, Merlin, is in the novel, and the action of the novel is very artful how that's contrived, is a bridge between us and God, sort of like a prophet. And so is Ransom. And so this... And and there's two things. One is the greatness of Britain. The, and the name for Britain that stems from Arthur is LaGres. And LaGres is kind of a shadow of the living nation that we see, but also its spirit or driving motive. And and uh, LaGres is much greater than Britain, and Lagres dominates Britain in great moments. You could say 1940, for example. Yes. They became very heroic, right? And in 1933, they were not very heroic, right? They made a lot of mistakes. And and a lot of the mistakes they made, they made, and Churchill well, Churchill said this, they made them because they had the human rightful wish for an easy life, right? And it cost them hard, and they became Lagres. But then it's also said that, uh, that uh, uh, it's specifically denied that Lagras is God's people. It says every country has a Lagras, and ours is just our better half, the one in con- con- contact with the divine. You know, in, in, think about it in the terms of America. America begins on principles that are divine. And, and stated in those terms. But also it is a specific place that specific people will live in and try to conform to these principles. But the form or structure like it's if you just compare the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, in my argument, I've written a book about it, they are profoundly related, that they are in fact inseparable and yet on the surface they're really different because the Declaration of Independence is is beautiful high, elevated, the Constitution reads mostly mechanically. That's right? the rules of golf. Yeah, and so, so those, the relation between those two things, right? If you can figure that out, you can figure out America, in my argument, right? And that is Lewis's argument in this book, that the it's relation it. between Lagres and, and Britain is a form of the relation between God and man.
0: And that is why you have to catch up with us, America. You have a week to get, read, and finish That Hideous Strength. We will finish it next week. That includes Mr. Bultitude of the studio, you, Dwayne. Uh, And if you want to know who Mr. Bultitude is, America, you've got to read the book. That Hideous Strength. And all of the Hillsdale Dialogues at hillsdale.edu. And, of course, Hugh for Hillsdale.com. Thank you for listening. We'll be back on Monday with more news of the transition. And who knows, maybe of Dr. Orrin. See you next week.